Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm joined with Father Mike Johnson. Father Mike, it's good to have you. It's great to be here. Thank you, Jonathan. This has been a long time coming. We talked about this when you were you were with me in Lakeview. Yes. And uh, you were settled back in at Nativity, your first assignment. Yeah. We'll get to all that eventually. But customary first question, how do you drink your coffee? <laughs> um... It would be uh, usually three cream, or th- yeah, three cream, three sugar. <laughs> okay. Coffee every day? Uh, no. Just, actually, no. I, just on occasion. Occasion when it's offered to you. Okay. Yes. I get that. Tim Hortons, you know, Buffalo staple. Buffalo staple. <laughs> I, uh, I got really into coffee when I started working in ministry. Okay. I did not like coffee prior, but everyone told me, like, you're going to learn to live off that stuff. And sure enough four or five cups of black. I'm, I'm, I'm done the black. I'm more into the snobby stuff now. Like I French press and uh, grind my own beans and import different things. So I've become a coffee snob. So I'm always looking for new suggestions. Tim Hortons is never on my radar. Oh, okay. I think it's too bitter. <laughs> it's a Buffalo staple, sure, but yes, it's not it a good Buffalo staple. <laughs> it's like the Bills, you know, they're just there. <laughs> um, so growing, you're a Roman Catholic priest now. Yes. Were, you, were you raised Catholic? Yes. Um, I am a as they would call a cradle Catholic, um, uh, brought up in Chittawaga, um, and uh, to now initially, uh, my mom Catholic, uh, my dad Episcopalian, he converted uh, after marrying my mom, and uh, but uh, always celebrated all of the Catholic holy days, holidays. Um, <clears throat> we uh, always made that a part of our life growing up. On the spectrum of you went to Sunday school and mass on the important days to rosary every day after dinner Catholic family. Where would you kind of put yourself on the two extremes? Um, I would say that we, my parents were, you know, made sure that they, they followed the promises that parents make at baptism to raise me Catholic um, and uh, had a good support system of, of uh, friends and parishioners at Infinite Prague Parish in Chituaga was my home parish. Um, so we always had a good, uh, again, I was from the days when we called it CCD, um, now faith formation, but um, all wonderful uh, CCD instructors um, that were just you know, amazing mentors in my life. A lot who I've unfortunately lost now. Some religious and a lot, a lot lay uh, people. But um, we we would do uh, uh, you know at home. We had our Advent wreath. Uh, we would have you know Christmas and prayers. My grandma, uh, my mother's uh, mom, lived downstairs. Uh, for most of my childhood, so and she was Polish, uh, and so a lot of the Polish traditions and everything. Um, so the Polish Christmas music, you know, off, <laughs> often, uh, and uh, just uh, my parents. We would go weekly, you know, the Sunday uh, Sunday mass. Um, I got involved with altar serving. Uh, my parent, my mom, in the choir. My dad was a lector. The whole time uh, that I was growing up, uh, so uh, very yeah connected with our parish and yeah religious education CCD um, Sunday school yes I do remember memories from Sunday school while my parents were in church going to Sunday school and uh, in the in the in the uh, school uh, building but um, yeah so uh, but not yeah not everyday rosary or anything although I had again a, a great aunt who was a Felician sister. 
and uh, the priest who baptized me, Father uh, Dick Zelinsky, who um, uh, remained very close with my family. So we would see him for holidays, and, and often um, he was assigned to infants, and you know, for uh, uh, initially when I was baptized at that period, and then he moved on. But you know, having a priest and a nun who were very close to our family. Uh, also helped in, in terms of just my Catholic upbringing, but also uh, my uh, um, vocation to priesthood, and as well as all the great examples of priests we were fortunate to have at Infinite Promise. I've noticed how incredible, like, the Polish people are, and, like, they make it a point to, like, the priest comes over for dinner. Like, you make sure the priest does not spend Christmas alone in the rectory, Thanksgiving alone in the rectory, and, like, it's cool that you had that family priest. We had... Um, Father Joe Bain, who's a Franciscan, oh, he was yes. a chaplain. He was close to my grandfather. My grandfather was a captain and a chief for years, so they just, you get to know people in the firefighter industry, as you know. Yes. And uh, so I don't remember, like, because he lived in with the Franciscans, who always had his brothers, but, like, I remember he was over. Like, he, he was a presence. You talked about him. Like, mm -hmm. you signed a Christmas card and sent it to him. There was just that connection to, you took care of your priest. My grandparents were very Italian, but... Same thing, the Italians, the Polish, you took care of whatever priest was in your life, they were taken care of. And yeah. that's cool to see other families had that. Yeah, and I mean, we even so far to the point I got to see and experience the priest coming over to give communion to uh, first my papa, my mother's father, who lived downstairs, but uh, I was very young when he passed. But then when my nana um, got ill with cancer and was still living at home, though, uh, the priest would come over and for anointing and communion, and and she, my nana had a communion like a mass, a communion set like with candlesticks and crucifix, and would light the candle, meet the priest at the door, which was the old tradition, and you know ring the bell and all that. Um, so we got, I got to experience that as a child, and uh, um, you know again with father uh, being exposed with Father Dick uh, being very close with our family. Um, you know, he actually, I, I guess I, I, that's where my vocation was first probably fostered and, and that I would, you know, he did, uh, catch me playing priest in the, our playroom in my nana's, uh, you know, uh, uh, house and downstairs and, and I was celebrating mass, if you will, with, uh, you know, vanilla wafers and grape juice and, uh, stuffed animals and GI Joes as a congregation, and uh, just using my little St. Joseph. I had one of those little St. Joseph missile uh, books yeah, uh, that they oh, gave yeah. you at First Holy Communion back in the day with a with a rosary, and so I had that. And just you know, again, I wasn't actually <laughs> yeah. reading the words of the mass, but I was just reading whatever prayers and and uh, put on a, a robe as a chasuble and stuff. And and uh, Father Dick saw saw that and found that very amusing. Never pushed me about a vocation to priesthood until I got older, but... Uh, but I you see something like that and you start praying for that child. Yeah. That's one of those kind of... It, yeah, it's that was cool. inevitable. Yeah. I have one of those crucifixes in my house. My grand, my great aunt found it. It must have been her parents. So you're talking Germ a good German family. Mm -hmm. It opens, it slides up its floor when they come around to do home anointings. Yeah. Got the candles, the oils, the little, uh, like a towel in there and... Yeah. It's cool. You saw it up in the wall, and this like, well, now they're just dust. It's just candle dust at this point. It's all yeah. disintegrated. But like, I'm like, how oh, cool! Every house used to have one of these. And she's like, yeah, this was a staple everywhere you went. And I'm like, 
the world used to be so Catholic. Yeah. <laughs> and then you can't get people to come to Mass now. Yeah. <laughs> but, no, that's... Okay, so you're, you're very much in that you were a very example Catholic family. Yes. You know, I would say we were a, a pretty model Catholic family. Again, yeah. not as devout as some others who would do, you know, litany or you know litanies or rosaries or whatever, um, and following the or do the novenas and all of that. Uh, we, I didn't really experience that, or yeah. or even uh, doing uh, adoration. That was not something that. I really was exposed to until I started altar serving, and then that's you know, really just coming back now. Though, yeah. like adoration's a big thing with youth now. I mean, it wasn't so much when I was. I'm not that old, but even ten years ago, you didn't hear the word adoration mumbled. Yeah. Maybe if you went to like a Steubenville conference or the Buffalo Youth Convention, you would experience this cool big gold thing with Jesus, and yeah. everyone was really emotional. But you didn't really. You weren't taught how to go to adoration. That's the difference. You may have been exposed, but being catechized on how to go to adoration has opened up my world completely. But it's huge. You've got to teach kids about that kind of stuff now. Absolutely. So you grew up in this very much model Catholic household. Did you find it when you went to high school that because of that you never really had that lapse in your faith? Like you see kids now and you get to high school, even ones that come from these role model Catholic families, and they hit the age of where I can make my own choices, and church is not my choice on Sunday morning. Did you hit that period? I really didn't. And I think part of the reason is because uh, when I was going through the CCD program, uh, I went through Cleveland Hill school system from K through 12. Okay. Uh, and so a public school. Um, and uh, But the CCD program at the time when I was in kindergarten in the earlier grades, they would actually bus us from school. We would leave school early, and they would announce over the PA at school, you know, the, the IOP or the Mother Divine Grace or St. Al's bus is here, and we'd go out and be dismissed early to go to the bus. The bus would take us to, to Infinite Prague, and I would attend religious education during the day, uh, during my normal, like, what would be my school day, uh, which you don't see now. I mean, that's... So it's kind of like you went to, like how Catholic school kids have the luxury of going every day. And yeah. Now you kind of had that. Yeah. And we had that, awesome. and it was a kind of incorporated, even though we were at public school, it was incorporated, uh, the public schools allowed at that time for us to do it. Chicktawaga is the Polish Catholic mecca of well, America, though. Yeah, well, at the <laughs> every time, Every pole yeah. in the world lives in Chicktawaga, yeah. New York. And, and we had, well, I mean, and so we we also, at the time, again, in public schools, and uh, now it's holiday concerts and stuff, but it was still a Christmas concert. We would sing uh, Catholic hymns at school, uh, with, you know, at public school, which now is unheard of. But like, uh, but your choir director probably was involved in the choir at one of those parishes you just named. Potentially, that's yeah. kind of how they that that went. You didn't separate your yeah. your day job from your faith. Yeah, and then I mean, and I was even, uh, you know. Uh, you know, I, I would serve for weddings. I would serve for funerals at the parish when I, you know, could. Because I was in public school, they didn't allow us to leave to do that. But I could, you know, if a wedding or a funeral came up that I could serve on a weekend, I was, you know, I served many of them at the parish. And, uh, you know, so altar serving, yeah, definitely uh, got me uh, even more catechized, I think, and in, in, into the liturgy and, and the beauty of the liturgy, um, and uh, I think also 
again, helped in fostering my vocation to priesthood, as probably many uh, priests you'll find had served as altar servers. So it is really a beautiful uh, uh, kind of a training ground for future vocations. So. So you left high school and you went to the John Paul II residency. So you had somewhat of a priest desire. You never had that, oh, I'm going to go be an accountant and my vocation came later. You were pretty much a out of high school vocation, you would say? Yeah, I, I, I had a, my, my initial vocation was, I felt called, I think, in seventh grade. And that was because the vocation uh, team at the time, Monsignor Burkhart and Father Tom Doyle, um, had... Uh, they, they were running in the diocese what was called the called by name program and so they invited parishioners to put names of individuals who might have a vocation to priesthood religious life in the collection basket on the weekend and and it was all anonymous and then they would the pastor would collect all those names forward those up to the vocations office and I got a call from uh, Monsignor Burkhardt, and he said, you know, uh, your name was submitted for this by this called my name program by a couple people. I still to this day don't know who those folks were, but he said, what, you know, we're having a, uh, a, a vocation retreat up at Wadhams Hall Seminary College, which is now closed, unfortunately, up in the Diocese of Ogdensburg, but um, he said, would you like to go? And it was a uh, um, people from sixth grade all the way up to seniors in high school were on this retreat. So, um, and we went up and, uh, and, and had a great weekend. And it really was there at that retreat that I felt the first inkling that God was calling me to ministry as a priest. And then um, that continued then to be fostered through the diocesan youth board that I served on from uh, eighth to 11th grade. Um, I was able to actually get involved with that in eighth grade early. Uh, I was fortunate, uh, you know, that uh, the diocese allowed me to get going in eighth grade. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, was on diocesan youth board, went to uh, state youth convention, national youth convention in Indianapolis. Uh, Father Gary Bagley was at the time the uh, youth director and, uh, um, and then we, uh, and then the phenomenal experience of attending World Youth Day in 1993, which was really uh, a huge vocation moment for me because we had, you know, uh, Pope now St. John Paul II there um, in Denver, and, and to hear him preach and to, he made a call for vocations, I remember in Mile High Stadium, and it was like he was speaking directly to you he's talking to this great multitude of people and, and it was just that really hit me and and that's really I think what solidified my vocation that then I you know moved forward with it once I graduated by uh, you know keeping in touch with the vocation office and, and going in you know officially applying to the program for priesthood formation for the first time um, and, and so I entered John Paul II residence, which was a college formation house for guys attending uh, local colleges, most of whom went to Canisius, but others also went to Buff State or UB. And, uh, and they would live at this Pope John Paul II residence, which was the former convent for the Great Nuns of the Sacred Heart, um, who taught at St. Rose of Lima. Uh, in North Buffalo, so we were right across the parking lot from St. Rose of Lima Parish, and we were right a, you know, a block or two away from the Carmelite sisters 
um, there, and, and, and so really close to, to their community, too. That was the first time I experienced a cloistered order, so that was pretty cool. Um, but um, So, yeah, so I started uh, high school, uh, had that vocation, that calling that I wanted to go, and, and then went to the John Paul II residence the first time. But as what happens usually sometimes with kids coming right out of high school to college, I didn't transition too well, so I ended up going into the military, which was then another step in my vocation life. So a, a, a lot I'm picking out from that is how beneficial vocations used to be when you start in middle school. And I think there's this thing with kids. The imagination of children is r ridiculous. You can't grasp it. And I've learned it very well now working with middle school and high school students for going on a decade being involved in faith formation. And I think parents in the world so easy to tell a young person, like, oh, that's a great dream, but keep your mind open, right? Like, how many times do you talk to a 21-year-old who's like, I'm never going to have kids, and five years later, they're married with their third kid on the way. And, like, so I think some kid in seventh grade is like, I want to be a priest. And they're like, well, that's cute, but you're going to change your mind because they don't trust that, like, we, like, someone knows what they want. Like, I've known since middle school, like, I wanted to work in ministry. I've never would definitively say priesthood or anything. I just said, I want to work for a church. I want to be involved in the Catholic church and make money working in a church. That was always my goal. And I think if we took that more seriously, like they did, having a retreat for middle school kids, like, you don't get that nowadays. Like, I think it's all being, it's just being open to the Holy Spirit uh, working because it is, again, the Holy Spirit calls us God calling us and moves in our lives in different ways, whether that's a vocation to married life, to single life, to religious life, to uh, priesthood or diaconate. And so I think it's just being open to the Spirit and the movement of the Spirit in your life and what do you feel called to do. And all of those things are good callings, whether it's single life or priesthood, all the way up to priesthood. It's all beautiful vocations, but it's, it's making sure that you're open to that spirit working in your life and hearing that call of okay is this really what I'm called to do so you say you know it's it's like you know what you want to do but it's really it's it's, it's not it's not your it's God calling you it's not like you aspiring or anything it's really that that internal joy and of that you're just fulfilled yeah. in whatever you, when you answer that call, you know that you're fulfilled, and this is what I'm. And, and that's exactly like I the, ha the happiest I ever felt was teaching faith formation, from like sixth grade on. That was like I looked so much forward to Sunday nights and Tuesday nights, where I'm like, well, this has got to be, this is it. Like you know, you're so happy. How could you not want to keep doing this and pursue this and desire this? And but I think like so you invested a lot of time into fostering your vocation. You spent all the high school, like youth board, like you said, being involved, like you earmarked for the priesthood. Did, because of all that time you spent, did you find it hard to leave the first time and go into the military? Or did you have another call to the military? You looked at it as like, well, I'm going to pursue this and come back? Or um, I, I did have a hard time leaving the first time. I, I uh, had a long conversation with Father Tom Doyle and Monsignor Burkhardt. Uh, and it was mutually agreed upon that I should leave because I just wasn't making the grade at Canisius College. I just wasn't, my grades weren't up to par. I, I wasn't prepared for the academic rigors of, of college coming from high school. So, um, and really the military just came about. I tried to work 
uh, for some months just working in, in, a, in a, a job and that didn't really, you know, again, I wasn't feeling fulfilled. I, I really felt like I was still kind of wandering and really was, you know, still feeling called and, you know, what, what am I doing, Lord? What do I need to, where do I need to be right now? And, and I don't say it was a, I mean, it was probably another calling, maybe, again, maybe it was God, yeah. It's all serving people. Yeah. And I think it was God leading me in that way, but um, I never thought I would serve in the military until, uh, you know, then I, I'm like, you know, my dad actually, though, had the same type of experience with college that I did and went into the Army. Um, and so I said, you know, if it was good enough for my dad, uh, it's good enough for me. Maybe this will help me in some way. And it did. It really, you know, first of all, my vocation kept being fostered, even in the military setting. Um, it even opened me up to the potential of military chaplaincy someday, potentially. Um, but... Um, I, I, so I just, I stayed in touch. I was involved with the chapel programs at, at whatever base I was assigned to. I still keep in touch with my first, I just recently in social media reconnected with my first chaplain ever, who was uh, in Korea when I was at Osan Air Base in South Korea, who was, uh, took me to the grave of uh, St. Andrew Kim and the Martyrs. And, and that was just a beautiful spiritual experience with him, Father Stephen Brosk. Um, now the archdiocese in Newark, New Jersey, but but now we've reconnected, and and uh, and he's just so pleased. I mean, I told him at that time, you know, this was 1996. I told him that I was had a vocation to priesthood, and he he just helped, you know, guided me and and just keep you know keep coming to mass and keep praying, and uh, you know I'll pray for you, and 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 so he was just overjoyed to hear that 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 vocation came to fruition. And um, so, I mean, just uh, wonderful to reconnect with him. But every base I went to, I stayed involved with the chapel program. I ended up, again, God, if he's calling you, I realized real quick, um, he, you can't run from the call. It's, he, he calls you and he will keep putting opportunities of ministry in your path, whether you were looking for them or not. And a lot of that happened in the military being asked when I was deployed where there was no priest to be the Catholic lay leader for that that Catholic community at whatever deployed location I was at. So in, in the United Arab Emirates and in Bosnia, I, I, uh, I had to do communion services in the, in the absence of a priest uh, for the Catholic community. Um, so, I mean, just, uh, you know, again, and, and when I was doing those ministries, I felt fulfilled. I felt like this is really, yes, God is calling me to this. And so uh, even in the military, that my vocation just kept being fostered. Of every chaplain I've met from the military, I recently met Bishop Joseph Coffey when I was in Baltimore. He's in the Archdiocese of the military. There's such an, I don't want to say an aura because you put him on a pedestal then, but there's such a, he, there's something unique about someone who spends time in the military like it brings out like it really brings you out like you can't run from yourself or the enemy or from god or from anyone in the military like you are going to be stripped until you are the most authentic version of yourself and it sounds like the military struck stripped you back down to your authentic i'm a priest clearly you were called from a young age and the military just helped you get off the skin. Yeah. But like, I, I just noticed that with, especially Bishop Coffey just had this like, oh my gosh, like that's a holy, 
man who wants to serve souls. Yeah. He just had that about him. Him and Bishop Strickland were standing like the distance you and I are from me, and like you were encapsulated by this like presence of those two. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's beautiful. Like it is such a an aura that God gives to these like men who are called to do this. Oh, and yeah. it's like, oh my gosh. And I mean, I, I wouldn't consider military chaplains even now, but the problem is of my age uh, and my physical uh, issues that I'm having right now. I don't qualify anymore for military service, but but I, I, I still have a great affinity for the military, uh, for you know, and so I, I still I'm currently serving the you know the Erie County American Legion jumped right on it as soon as I uh, was ordained. They wanted me to serve as their chaplain for the for the Erie County, um, and so I, I I feel that I'm still serving the military community in that way by serving in my American Legion post and uh, as as, um, as an officer there, but also being a chaplain for the County American Legion. So the the, the military never leaves you. I mean, I've done I, I I'm I'm pushing over a hundred funerals now in my time, and every time there's a military funeral, like even just the color guard. Those guys are 85 in a snow-torn Buffalo day, standing in a cemetery for 30 minutes just to be there for their fallen brother. Like, they, that never leaves you. And, like, that's so beautiful about the military. I never served in the military. I couldn't medically even if I wanted to. But, yeah, I have a, a very grave, deep appreciation for, like, it's a life. It's not a job. Like, and that's what's cool. The connection to the priesthood. It is not a job. It is a life. Like yeah, you are signing, lifestyle. you are signing up for a lifestyle that is going to tell you exactly how you're going to live and act and do, and you just comply with this. Yeah, it's God, style. well, it's God's special calling to ministry. Uh, you know, again, that uh, again, we are all called in our baptism to be priest, prophet, and king, but but some are called to ministerial priesthood, and that that is uh, its own call, which is a special calling, and, and so I. Very feel very blessed to enter into this fraternity of priests that we have, especially in this diocese, which is such a, a wonderful uh, group of, of men uh, to serve with. So. so I really want to get into eventually like your spirituality, more like modern day Catholic Church. So we're going to speed up a little bit. You re- obviously you ran to the seminary. You're a priest now. Mm-hmm. What was like Christ the King like once you started getting into summer science major sum? What was that period of your life like? It was. One of uh, the most challenging experiences that I have had in my life, uh, even even I would say over military service, because um, you of the formation that you undergo in in the seminary, and, and as you you kind of said with the military, you know you're stripped down and you you you're built up with that authentic self. And really, that's what the formation program is trying to do, is they're trying to find your strengths, your weaknesses, and help you see your strengths and weaknesses and, and, and you know, build on your strengths, but, but help you in building up and strengthening those weaknesses you have so that you can end up being a good, well-rounded uh, priest for the people of God. And, and, and the four pillars of formation that they stress so much uh, are now called the four dimensions of the, the human, the, the spiritual, the intellectual, and the pastoral are all so important. Um, and, but mostly I felt at Christ the King Seminary, again, sadly closed now, but our, our, our men now are at uh, St. Mary's in, in 
in Baltimore. And uh, those four dimensions of formation exist at all seminaries throughout the United States and the world, really. And so it's just a matter of, uh, you know, uh, how, which pillars are being focused on. I think when you're in the seminary formation, obviously academic is very uh, high on their list, academic and human formation. But you always have to have the spiritual dimension centering everything. And then the pastoral is a little bit less, but you see that start growing as you get toward ordained life and ministry. So you're starting, really, I felt that, I mean, we were doing uh, the, the summer assignments and we were doing the, um, the apostolic ministries that they allowed us to do in first and second theology where we would go out to a ministry setting. But um, you really see it, I think, when I was in pastoral year at Queen of Heaven, that, that that was, you know, really where you're focused on that pastoral pillar of, or dimension of formation. And then um, into the Akinet at John Paul II Lakeview, and then now, you know, and then you move, that prepares you to move to ministerial priesthood. So, um, <coughs> excuse me, all those dimensions of formation are so important, but it's finding that good balance. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the academic, you know, to be honest, I, I felt in, at Christ the King, the academic was a little overly focused on. But we had such brilliant academics teaching there that I could see why that was the case, as they, they were very academically gifted and they were trying to fill us with that knowledge that, you know, we would be prepared because, again, as a priest, you are a teacher. And so to be able to uh, to give good homilies that would, you know, be fulfilling for the people of God to, to be able to help in, in teaching in RCIA or any other, um, you know, realms of, you know, I'm here at a at Nativity of Our Lord, we have a school, so to go, be able to go into the school and to talk to the, to the children and engage in a conversation with them uh, about theology um, is, is, you know, that's where I see now that academic work helping me in my current ministry. But it, it was very heavily academic, and which was challenging for me. Um, I like the more hands-on and doing the ministry uh, than, than the book work and the writing of papers. But, uh, but it's, 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 you know, everything you experience in the seminary prepares you for ordained ministry, and that's what it's meant to do. I think we really need to see in the church a return to authentic, like, walk with someone pastoral discipleship. Like, some of the great saints were illiterate. <laughs> like, didn't, did, they couldn't read a book, but they, they loved people. And, like, I understand the formation process has the four pillars. We'll just call them pillars because I like that term better. <laughs> and, um, but... I, I, I definitely see in the modern formation process this leaning towards ever since like you look at church history like the renaissance on has been academia but that's how the world was but like our first pope was like a half illiterate jewish fisherman like if you were a fisherman in the first century in palestine it's because you couldn't do much else but you could manage to throw a net in the water yeah and like return of um i love um Francis, uh, not Francis, um, Joseph Cupertino. He graduated in third grade at 20 years old. 
we entered the seminary without like what we would consider like a middle school diploma. Like I would love to see that, but pick, being able to pick out guys who can just love people. And even if you, you know, if you're an 80 student, but if you know how to love someone, yeah, that's the priesthood. That's that's what God wants of His yeah, people. That's the pastoral. Do you know pillar, like being able yeah. to pick out that pastoral pillar a little bit more authentically in a human? Yeah, and and again, we have so many guys that that again when when you go through that seminary form the formation to enter first of all the program priestly formation where they do the psychological evaluations and all that. The reason they do that now is to vet people. First of all, because of the unfortunateness of the sexual abuse uh, uh, cases and all of that, they want to vet people to make sure that psychologically you are fit for ministerial priesthood. And so, um, but they're also trying, they do personality profiling with you to try to figure out where you're at. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? Sensing, feeling, you know, judging, perceiving, all of those, you know, the personality profile, the Myers-Briggs and all of that. Um, and it's and it's to try to find, you know, okay, yeah, we do have some priests in our diocese that are more introverted. We have some that are very extroverted, and but all of them, you know, again, bring their gifts and their talents, um, and, and and you know, and it's wonderful. That's the one beauty, beautiful thing that I'm kind of looking forward into the renewal. I'm never going to come out and say I'm looking forward to this renewal. Sort of I don't think any of us truly are prepared for the undertaking that this is going to be. But you're going to have three priests. To a family of parishes, so you're guaranteed to have the blend of both. Mm-hmm. You're going to have an introverted priest, like you're a very extroverted guy. You could be assigned with an introvert, but your community is now going to benefit from both parties. If you see it, how I'm perceiving yeah, sure. it at least, which I think is really exciting that the, the, the diocese just doesn't have a cookie cutter for priesthood. I'm glad mm-hmm. we have a variety. And in the past, it could be a disadvantage. I've had pastors who were just very you can talk to them. It's like, well, this isn't exciting. But then you had other ones who, you know, if you probably pushed them, they probably couldn't answer many canon law questions, but darn, they knew how to love you and have a donut with you on yeah. Sunday mornings. And you were okay with that if they didn't know the difference between the First and Second Vatican Council. Yeah. It didn't really bother you. Yeah. you. You just loved that this man loved Jesus and loved you and showed you Jesus. Yeah, and I think, that's you unique. Know, again, the academia, again, it is important for the ministry of yeah, priesthood absolutely. now because, again, Charles Borromeo, if I'm remembering correctly, was really the one who decided, you know, as a saint, he's like, I'm going to create seminaries and because you had a more educated uh, laity, mm-hmm. and so there was a need then for the for those who are going to be ministering to the to the laity to have that same level, if not higher level of knowledge, so that they could teach the laity who are now even becoming more educated. So that's why these guys, yes, originally priests would be it would be like an apprenticeship working under a senior priest who and you would just learn how to celebrate mass and that was pretty much it. But then priesthood the role of priest expanded beyond just celebrating Mass and the sacraments. It expanded to teaching. It expanded to all of the great ministries that priests do now. And so you did have to have that greater knowledge base. So I do understand the reason behind seminaries. But at the same time, yes, you absolutely need to be able to talk to people and to dialogue and to... to, to be to meet them where they're at and and to be 
there for them in those moments when they need you in ministry and be a comfort to I them. think what's cool about the emphasis on the lady being educated in theology nowadays is they can, I don't want to say pick up the slack, but they can advise a pastor who may be, who can bring out the best in his pastoral role because they don't have to worry about the little, you know, you're always going to find that quirky, nerdy theology kid who can just help where it needs to be helped and then they don't have to worry about that. And like, I think that's going to be so healthy for, if we want to see the church grow. Because people want a friend in their priest. They want, well, there's two parties. You have the traditional crowd who wants just, I want a priest, and if he walks in front of me, I'm kissing his hand because he's a priest. He's, he's above me. And then you got other people who just want, well, I want a best friend in my priest. I want to be able to like give him a high five and have coffee with him. Oh, yeah. And I think you got to cater to both. But I think having a, an educated lady helps both yeah. priests excel. Oh, Absolutely. And, and again, the gifts that different guys bring to the priesthood, I mean, again, there are many guys that we're blessed to have in the seminary right now, or that I was in seminary with, who are very brilliant academically and who are going on for further studies because the church needs canon lawyers and you know, people to study canon law or liturgy and scripture and all these other important aspects. Um, so, you know, God bless them that they have those gifts that they can they can give of their great knowledge and so that's wonderful but at the same time then you also have you know guys who are so pastoral and and that you again like you said that you could just you you can feel that that sense of holiness in them in their lives and that that, that they are focused on prayer and, and their spirituality is on you know just right we you know, talked together. about it before on the podcast actually he's a reoccurring yeah. priest mentioned but father dave richards Oh. always comes to mind is like you want to talk about a, a pastor yeah you are the only person you are the only soul in front of him at that moment that matters and you can hear it in his voice and see it in his eyes yes and you can't teach that a wonderful that's yeah. just you, yeah. you he was born with the gift to look you in the eyes like you're the only one who matters right now and i'm going to make sure you know it and that's so awesome for a priest who gets that we are blessed with so many guys that are like that, though really there are a lot. There, there are a ton. He's just the one that comes to mind. Oh, yeah. We've talked about him before on the show. Yeah. And uh, he's a dream dream podcast interview. I feel like he's got a story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but so you're into full-time priesthood ministry now. Yeah. You spent your transitional diacony year with me, and you experienced your diacony year with our community and like you and stuff. Mm-hmm. What have you enjoyed the most besides i'm going to take removing celebrating mass because that's the obvious you're a priest Um, besides celebrating mass and the sacraments as a whole what have you really now that you 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 made it you're fully a priest what have you enjoyed the most in your six months since you've been ordained five um, months since you've been ordained five months right five Um, months i should know this i was there five months (laughs) (laughs) well unfortunately i was laid up uh, medically for two and a half of those months so uh I've just returned uh, this past Monday to the parish. I missed the parish. I missed being with the parishioners and ministering to them. Uh, But, um, I mean, I think in my priesthood so far, it's just been those blessings of, and especially now with social media being what it is, obviously we're using this medium right now, um, uh, it, uh, being able to connect with people in that way, even though I was laid up all of that time and, and, and the time, you know, just from ordination to going out on sick leave to now coming back. I mean, I've maintained these 
these uh, relationships with people via the social media, and they there's so much, so many people out there with so many questions about their faith, and that just want to talk to you because you are a father yeah. now, uh, you are a priest, and and that's a, such a blessing, and and they've, I mean, I've learned from them, and I I hope that they have learned from me and, and have been helped by what I, I have talked to them about in, in their lives and that that's a beautiful gift. Just Isn't to... it amazing that in this dawned on me over the summer it dawned on me during over COVID really but in our unique ways you and I are both entrusted with someone's faith. Like people have come to me and just were like you go to church I have questions for you and it starts off super like almost like a joke at first like they're mocking you and then it turns into they're in the RCA program two months later because you're just willing to have coffee with them and chat with them or say, I'm praying for you. Let's go have coffee next week. Or, you've probably or, had those moments too. Yeah, or it awesome. leads to a conversation of, you know, my child, you know, uh, we want to have our child baptized, Father. Could you do it? And that's an honor, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I'll be going in January to Pennsylvania, to you know, Lovertown, Pennsylvania, to baptize a, a friend of mine. Uh, his his fifth child and, and that's just a beautiful honor to be able to do that for people when they ask you and, and uh, again my first wedding was for a friend uh, from college days that uh, you know I he asked me to, to celebrate the mass for him and his wife's wedding there and, and so that's beautiful um, and, and so uh, you know so even those conversations though of asking because they'll ask you you know what what do i have to do to be a godparent i've been asked what do i have to do and you have to hit them with the the all this is you know this is what the catechism this is what canon law says and sometimes sometimes they get disappointed but they're like you know no one's really told us that before and now it's good to know that and that's actually led to conversations well how do i get confirmed i maybe i have Baptism. I had my first communion, but I was never confirmed. And there are a lot of Catholics out there now. Confirmation is unconfirmed. I'm starting yeah. to notice. Yeah. So now, yeah. you know, and so now they want to be a godparent, or you know, and and so that opens up the conversation about um, you know, confirmation. And even the bride that was the first wedding, she was, you know, uh, Father Romi. Uh, you know, Pontoveros, and may he rest in peace. He, he died, unfortunately, during their process of preparing for marriage. But he asked that both of them be confirmed because it is in, in canon law, um, and she wasn't. And, and so he, but because he had that conversation with her, she was open to it, and so she is now confirmed. Uh, Bishop, uh, uh, you know, Fisher was kind enough to go and, and, and confirm her a uh, month or two before the wedding and so everything was said and and now they're married and and again uh, that opened them up I think to okay you know we're going to have a child now we're, we're looking at the baptism for our, our child that we're going to have and and bringing our families who maybe went away from the church and weren't coming to mass as often well now because of our wedding now they might be coming back to church and back to their faith, uh, which is great. And that's just all of these conversations that you have that, you know, with people, just casual conversations at the recep the wedding reception that maybe brought 
um, some people back to How the beautiful church. is that in marriage, that you can have the possibility through one sacrament to bring back two totally families to the yeah. church. Like, and that's happens, so beautiful oh, that happens, marriage has that It happens at baptisms, it happens at, at, we just had first reconciliation here, and, and you know, the people, even the family members here to support those those young people receiving first reconciliation, I think we're touched. How many times at the end of a first reconciliation service, a parent's like, hey, do you have time to stay and hear mine? It's been three years. And yeah. it's like, yes, yeah. absolutely. I will go find Father. You sit still. He, yes, he will hear your confession when I go tell him that because that's so, it's got to be so exciting to hear. And like, and so, that's I mean, beautiful that the church is moving back into such a family oriented. It is. And here, St. Joseph made such a difference because the yeah. family, mo- the traditional, I mean, the traditional husband wife family model made a comeback it really was empty church put their foot down and said you know what no did saint joseph's the model fatherhood needs to be talked about outside of the spiritual fatherhood the practical lady fatherhood is not talked about in the church enough and this year did that yeah that's cool and the people have are opening themselves up now with covid you know restrictions lessening somewhat although now we've had a little bit of a resurgence but but i mean the sacrament of reconciliation people coming back to that sacrament of, of God's love and, and mercy and, and just, I mean, I've, I've seen more people coming to that sacrament or just stopping me in, in church. Like you said, you're just, you know, after a mass, you just have this encounter with a person and Father, could you hear my confession? And I've, I've literally not even bothered going to where we normally hear confessions of, you know, find a quiet place in the church and, and hear the confession. Um, I was stopped in Our Lady of Victory Basilica and asked a spirit, you know, a question about a lady having a spiritual difficulty, and and these are those blessed, graced moments that, again, God is is working, the Spirit is working people's lives and puts you in people's lives at a particular moment as priests to help them to be, again, in persona Christi, to be Christ for them at that specific moment. And, you know, sometimes I question, well, why was it me? Why, what was the reasoning? But God had, God had that reason. And so we just surrender to his divine will in, in, in our lives and that he brought us into that person's life at that moment for a reason. So, so I want to move into, and I don't need to think too much, just quick mm-hmm. fire Catholic questions. Okay. Favorite Catholic book that you would recommend someone to read? And you can't say the, um, you can't say the Diary of Faustina or the Bible. <laughs> Because those, those, those are guineas. Any good Catholic should read the Catechism, the Bible, and the Diary. So let's let's just skip those. Um, well, it's probably because it's it's a book that I referenced uh, in, or that I looked at in my uh, uh, writing of my, my uh, comprehensive theological reflection paper was uh, um, about uh, the chaplain, um, Father uh, oh, the Vincent that, Capadonna. Yeah, they just made a form movie on him. Yeah, his, his, uh, his story, the, I think it's called The, the Grunt Priest, um, and it's about his, uh, his becoming a military chaplain and how he served his men in the military, I think was a phenomenal uh, book to, to read. If um, if if yeah. people ask me for a recommendation and a book to learn something from, mine is always The Lamb Supper. Okay. Uh, Scott Hahn. Okay. Fantastic. Okay. And then Diary of a Country Priest, if you just want to read a feel-good priest story, because Diary of a Country Priest, like, really 
eats away at the myths of the priesthood. Okay. Right? Like for me, it made me feel priests were human. <laughs> Which now I'm reverting back to the, well, I kind of like that you hold priests to a certain thing. But for, mo- for, for the sake of my reconversion in high school, I needed that. No, they're just humans. Like, yeah. it's okay. You can talk to them. Like, I'm doing this now. You're a priest. I'm talking to you. The Diary of a Country Priest. Fantastic book. Um, favorite Catholic movie that isn't The Passion of the Christ? <laughs> I set stipulations in all these questions because you would have answered the Bible, passion. I know how people answer these Catholic um, questions. There's a couple. I, I am a very movie-oriented person. I love movies. I, I, I have a, quite a collection of movies, Catholic and just regular yeah. movies. Um, I love the... Uh, Ignatius Press puts out a lot of good ones. Um, I think uh, the the movie that they did on John Paul II, the two part six hour Carol movie. Well, it was the one with um, the one with Carrie Yules and yes, yes, yes. yes. Oh, and, yeah. And they broke it up into like his his early life, later life. But yeah. absolutely phenomenal movie. Um, I watched I, that start to finish. It's six hours. Oh, it's long. start to finish, yeah. like, and it's so good. It yeah. is so so it well a, made. It's a wonderful. I think it was meant to be like a kind of a mini series, actually, which is why it was that long. But um, that movie, also, the Ignatius Press did uh, a movie on John Bosco. Yeah, I saw that. Who one. is one of my favorite saints? Uh, so um, wonderful, wonderful movie. It is in Italian, so you're kind of like the, <laughs> the lips aren't moving quite with when you put the English on. It doesn't. The lips are moving kind of with the, the Italian they're saying, but. Still a wonderful, wonderful, beautiful movie about a beautiful saint. Um, the letters that came out about uh, St. Teresa of Calcutta and her life. Beautiful movie. I can't stress um, enough, people need to download Formed. Yeah. Just randomly throw on a, a movie. There's so much. Ignatius Press makes so much. Oh, yeah. All I of those movies. So I, have John, I have Paul VI. I have John the Twenty Third, which is another amazing. John the Twenty Third is my favorite. Ed Asner, amazing, amazing portrayal of, of Pope John the Twenty Third. Pope of Peace. Oh yes, yeah, beautiful. Great. One of my favorite again, saint, now saints, but a favorite popes too. Yeah. Him, that one, and because of form, I discovered Blessed Solanus Casey. Okay. Well, I have now fully adopted as my patron. You know this. Like, yeah. I've got pictures of him everywhere. <laughs> I love Solana's case. That okay. story of that poor, illiterate Capuchin monk from Wisconsin has changed the world because of his faith oh, in God. And just a correction, it was the Grunt Padre is the name of the book. The, oh, it's the chapter. <laughs> okay. The, the Grunt Padre about uh, Father Vincent Capadonna. Yes. Um, but, um, yeah, there's so many beautiful Catholic movies out there. I mean... And then you can go back to the old, I grew up to the old epics of the Ten Commandments and yeah. the robe and uh, Quo Vadis. I mean, have you watched The Fourth Wiseman? Mm, uh, no, it I It might be the worst produced it. movie ever made. Yeah. Father Mike Lamarca and I watched it mm-hmm. one night. And it was kind of one of those, okay, someone recommended me to sit through this. <laughs> Can't even be nice about it. Like, it's just so, like, it was, like, produced with, like, Applejack boxes, but like this, the concept of that there is this fourth wise man who like followed the disciples, what we can like, a, like an apostle's pathway, but from the, the shadows. Like he walked Calvary, but no one knew he was there. Like everyone assumes the wise men went home, or they didn't go home. They went off after that, after the dream, after the a fourth one never made it. Like he like fell behind the journey. 
So he never got the news to like go somewhere else. Like he didn't get the dream, and he just kept following this infant from the shadows. Okay. Like he was in Egypt with when they fled. Then he followed him to Galilee, and he followed him up Calvary, and like this yeah. one wise man accompanied him in his entire ministry. It was a cool perspective. It's like the chosen. I think you look they at act- things from a, a weird perspective, but it makes you think. Yeah, they actually, although it was one of the actual wise men that they portrayed in Ben Hur, which is again another wonderful oh, epic. Movie. Um, but it was, I think, uh, it was Casper, Melchior, and Balthazar were the three. I think it was Balthazar was the wise man that that is portrayed in that movie who fo- who does follow then Jesus uh, in his ministry, like very much like that. So uh, uh, and and becomes again a disciple. So uh, so yeah, it's uh, beautiful. But I I mean I I, I Quo Vadis was I think one of my favorite uh, epic movies from the day, you know, from those days. Beautiful, you know, um, just a beautiful story and, and following, you know, and seeing Peter um, and and uh, his, his martyrdom and, and how he comforted those who were being martyred during uh, the persecution of Nero. And so it was... We uh, shouldn't underplay using Catholic movies in this new evangelization. I think people are so quick to, like, oh... Don't watch a movie. You're not going to learn anything. But people like movies. Yeah. People, people will sit there with popcorn and watch whatever you put in front of them because they just like they're encapsulated by this. And again, some are some are more theatrical license is used uh, yeah. than others. Some are more realistic portrayals. There's a Protestant on the staff, and some of them you can tell. <laughs> but it's but it's still. I mean, a lot of these movies. Yes, you can learn a lot from. There is a lot of truth in a lot of them but again artistic license you always have to watch for in your movies but i think the ignatius press really tries to keep it authentic, uh, authentic. as authentic as possible to the to the story of whatever saint um they are they are portraying in that movie while you were laid up did you watch the chosen like have you watched any of this, this no ain't... no i hadn't seen that i'm yet. not i'm not sold i'm really not sold on it as being like this great catholic movie they show what people think it is. I just, they leave too much for the interpretation of the mind. Hmm. Like a lot of the people, when they talk about the crowds that were around Jesus, right? They put faces and names and backstories to these people. We have no idea. You're just going off what a first century Palestinian woman should have hypothetically been doing in this. Hmm. I, I, I don't know. But you might mention the theatrical license, and I think yeah. that kind of reminds me too much of it, but... Yeah, but I mean, people again, do like it, and if people are watching stories about Jesus in their free time with their kids, by all means, watch it. Yeah. Same with, like, uh, Heaven is for Real. I understand it's a Wesleyan pastor, but you know what? It's a good feel-good story about the mercy of God, so you should watch, well, watch it. Well, in Nations Press, I think, put out Mary of Nazareth. That was That's a beautiful one. Yes, yeah. we're preparing to enter into... Uh, Advent and the Christmas season, that's a beautiful one to, to, to watch uh, about our Blessed Mother. It really focuses on her and her role in Jesus' life. And, and so, uh, again, another, again, is there artistic license? Is everything maybe that's in that movie portrayed in the script? In the, is, is what we're seeing in the movie in the scriptures? Not necessarily, but it is a beautiful way to think of this is how Mary, let, you know, her life went and her call and and her how she she followed her son and and so uh that you know so again movies 
you always have to watch for the theatrical, the artistic license in them, for the truth in them, but um, again, you can learn from yeah, them, I, even if a little. Absolutely. Well, this was um, this was good. I appreciate you coming on. Oh, yeah. It's a long time, long time coming. Yeah. I'm starving. We're going to go eat. <laughs> I'm going to get this edited. And uh, yeah, this is good. Right. And if anyone wants to uh, come visit you, ask for movie recommendations, you were at Nativity of Orchard Park. Yeah, Nativity of Our Lord Parish in, on South Buffalo Street in Orchard Park. Uh, and uh, we have uh, masses 7 o'clock and 9 o'clock in the morning, uh, Monday through Friday. And then we have uh, our weekend masses are at... Uh, uh, 4.30 and 7 on uh, Saturdays, and then 7.30, 9.00, and noon on Sundays. And we have confessions here on Saturday from 2.30 to 3.30. So, uh, and just knock on his door and he'll hear your confession yeah, on the porch. Uh, we, yeah, we, we, are, uh, we, we look forward to seeing you here at Nativity. You're always welcome. Great. Well, this was fun. Yeah. Thanks again. Thank you.